If you're a Pilates instructor looking to learn and grow using science-based tools, the Pilates Instructor VIP membership is for you. This is a continuing education resource that includes monthly workshops, weekly research reviews, programming support, full-on classes, and so much more. Okay, you can get your seven-day free trial right now with the link in the show notes. But without further ado, let's get on to this episode. All right, welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Evidence-Based Pilates Podcast. We have an incredible topic and an incredible guest on the show today. Thank you, Tiffany Burke, for taking the time to be on the podcast. And uh, for the listeners who don't know Tiffany, I would love for you to um, say hello and uh, introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, it's such it's truly an honor to be chatting with you because I feel like you are such an important voice in our Pilates and fitness community. And I look up to you and I find inspiration on your page um, weekly. So um, I'm really happy to be here. I'm also a Pilates teacher. I've been teaching Pilates for over 20 years. And um, before that, I was a professional figure skater. And that kind of led me to Pilates. And I was classically trained. I taught classically for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, I just started experimenting and thinking outside of the box. And um, and here I am today. Awesome. Um, Well, thank you for the kind words. And I feel um, the the respect is mutual. I always find inspiration on your page. I look at my reformer. I'm like, what creative thing could I do on this reformer today? I'll just go to (laughs) Tiffany's page and see something cool happening. so I, I, one thing I can also, I personally connect with you, with your content and your style in a multitude of ways. And one way that maybe the common listener may not know is like, I was also classically trained and, and then we end up, we both end up in this like other sphere of mm-hmm. Pilates. Um, and so I would love to hear more about like your journey, um, through Pilates. Like where did your Pilates journey start? How did you get to training, et cetera? So um, I have a lot of back injuries from figure skating and I have osteoarthritis in my low back. And so I wasn't always in pain, but there were certain things that started to cause me pain. And um, around, I want to say around 22, I retired from skating and my mom loved Pilates. So she bought me 10 private classes with her Pilates instructor. And I loved it from the second I started it, I loved it, and maybe I loved it because it was it was easy for me, I was kind of good at it, and it was a great transition from ice skating to, to Pilates, and I knew from, from like my first or second class that I wanted to teach Pilates. I just really, really loved it, and um, my teacher at the time was extremely classical, like very, 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 very classical, and so that was the kind of it kind of set the tone for me to go through a very classical teacher training program. I loved it. I loved, I still really personally like the classical work. I practice it in my own practice all the time. Um, but as a business owner, people get bored with the classical work. And I tried teaching classical for 10 years and I still loved it, but I felt like I was beating my head against a wall to convince people like, no, this is the perfect type of exercise. You don't need anything else. The system isn't broken. You know, all the things that classical teachers say. And um, 
And I was trying to convince people how amazing it was doing the same workout every single day. <laughs> and, um, and, and I was also myself, I would call myself, um, I'm a recovering Pilates snob. I was definitely one of those who would say, no, that's not how Joseph Pilates did it. That's not Pilates. Um, I was trained on Grotz equipment. And slowly I started seeing that there was different ways of doing things. And, um, and it just slowly kind of evolved. Like um, I went from this very close-minded um, view of Pilates to slowly not using the Grotz equipment because I'm five foot 10. I don't fit very well on that equipment. <laughs> and, and so just slowly started peeling away those layers of, um, of what you're supposed to do and what you're trained. This is how it's supposed to be. And slowly started experimenting. And, um, and it kind of brought me to slowly where I am today. At first it was, I, I, I joined Instagram and I started seeing people do things differently, you know, and it just like a light bulb went on and I'm normally a pretty, um, I would say creative person. I, I'm always thinking outside the box. I don't like to conform to what everyone else does. So it's kind of interesting that I stuck with the classical work for as long as I did. And, um, but once I started to kind of stray away from it a little bit, um, I started to fall in love with it more. My business did better. And um, I think the evolution of my training or my practice of Pilates has changed so much. And um, I wouldn't, I don't think I would change a thing. Um, I'm glad that I'm glad that I had that classical background. Um, I'm glad that I slowly have progressively changed. And um, I mean, I'm still evolving. I'm still changing. I'll see your page. And I feel like um, one of your posts, uh, probably about a year ago, I think you did a post about jump board not being cardio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those ones are you, probably fun. You know, like, I mean, like, the thing about classically trained Pilates teachers, we're not really trained in exercise science very much. Or, like, they ba we basically spend all this time learning about Pilates exercises. And it's a great training, don't get me wrong. But there's so much missing. Um, as a fitness instructor that you don't get in a Pilates training, it's crazy. You don't learn about loading muscles. You don't learn about the difference between aerobic and anaerobic and what the importance of all that is. And I think it's kind of one of those things that like you kind of go through life not questioning things, not quite understanding it, but that's just the way it is. And I feel like a lot of classically Pilates trained, classically trained Pilates teachers are that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm also a recovering Pilates fog <laughs> or whatever, right? Whatever yeah. label. And and dear listener, this is this is not a hierarchy of like class goes down here, we're up here. No. This is just a, um taking the veil off and there's so many ways to win. And like one of those is classical Pilates, but it's Absolutely. not only classical classical. There's Agreed. so many ways to 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 do things. And that and, and I share that experience of like yeah we had the charts on the walls and like, those were only the, those were the only exercises like we were yes. taught to teach or allowed to yeah. teach and anything yeah. else. And like, there was a lot of snobbery, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the studio and it's not about classic. I'm sure there's snobbery in contemporary or oh, absolutely. whatever else. Yeah. There's, there's just snobbery, right? Yeah. That's unnecessary. And usually due to like insecurities um, mm -hmm. of the self. And like, it was like, we weren't, we were talk. We were to. We were not to think highly of the studio down the street. 
Yes. Right? As if they yeah. were like a threat and because they did something different. But um, but but you mentioned like one of the things that you did in the, your your um evolution mm -hmm. is that you went on to onto Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so like what was your inspiration to do that? How did that influence you? And why should anyone listening do that as well? So I think the hard thing is, I mean, so I got trained 20, 22 years ago. So the internet, I mean, the internet existed, but there wasn't apps. Like you could go watch people train and you could watch different class styles. You watched your mentor and you kind of became a, um, a replica of your mentor. And eventually, I mean, I know I probably said verbatim what my mentor said, teaching hundreds breathing. Right. And, um, and so I, I feel like when I taught the classical work, it was never my work. I was always imitating somebody else. And also in the Pilates world, I'm sure you've experienced this too. There's different schools of Pilates and they disagree. You know, like I was taught, for instance, when the carriage opens, that's when you inhale. When the carriage closes, that's when you exhale. But then there's some Pilates programs that do the exact opposite. So you can never felt, I never felt 100% confident in what I was teaching because there were so many different like different ways to do it and everyone was so certain that that's the way Joseph Pilates taught it and one of my instructors had just uh, who worked at the studio was telling me about Instagram she's like oh are you on Instagram I'm like no I'm on Facebook that's enough she's like no really there's some really cool and there was I don't think there was any sound I, I think it was 15 second videos maybe no sound I can't remember I can't remember, but she's like, you got to watch this one lady. She's, um, and it was Sean Marshall. She's like, she's in England and she does all these beautiful classical um, Pilates exercises. She does all of the classical work. And so I started following Sean. And then I started, started following my now business partner, Corinne Nolan. And Sean, I, I was, I gravitated to her first because she was so classical and she moved so beautifully. And then I started watching Corinne and Corinne isn't classically trained. And she does things differently. And I was like, I never thought to do different springs for the long stretch series. I never thought to walk your toes forward and go with a lighter spring for a pike versus elephant. Or I never thought to do that because you're so trained. This is how it's done. And um, that all of a sudden I saw these other people doing these other things. And I just like, that looks so fun and so cool. And so that's kind of how I got onto Instagram, just, you know, just watching and just being inspired because at the time, this was probably 10 years ago, at the time I was so busy with my own studio, I didn't have time to go take classes elsewhere. And in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I lived, it was all classical. So it wasn't that inspiring, you know, so seeing things in a different light and just things being done differently really just made me start to think like, why am I still doing it this way? Yeah. It's like exposure therapy. Like you yeah. just have to get exposed a little bit and then it's like not as threatening over time because you never got mm -hmm. when you added a spring to long stretch series or the whole repertoire, you know, yeah, yeah. things, you know, just things, things like that. And, and I love how you express like your, your own um, cognitive agility along the way and how it's, it's not just like an overnight thing. It's, it's a, it's a, a it's like a never ending like shedding. And that's really what learning is. Yeah. You yeah, shed I agree. some and then you add some. You shed some and you add some. And one thing that sticks out, um, if I'm interpreting this correctly, is like in in your original training, 
you learned Pilates exercises really mm -hmm. well, but mm -hmm. it was narrow in that. And then there, but, but there wasn't a depth in terms of human movement and principles mm -hmm. behind it. And then also like what I teach all, like really what I teach in the diploma of clinical Pilates aside from anatomy is um, clinical reasoning. So it's mm -hmm. like, why did you choose this spring with this exercise? Like what kind of response, like, are you looking for in the body? And I, and I really feel like that's the difference between like a good teacher and, you know, and mm -hmm. I feel like everyone has good intent and like an, a freaking awesome teacher, like an awesome teacher says, I want to get this response. So I'm making this decision. And that's where it's like, there's so many ways to win and like all mm -hmm. exercises are good exercises. It's just like, why did Agreed. you choose that for yeah. that person? And like, so, so you, so you, you go on Instagram, we have this like moment of like, mm -hmm. I can put on another half spring and long stretch and they feel their shoulders. That's great. Yeah. You yeah. know? And then like, so, so then like, what do you do with that? So we have this epiphany. I'm like, imagining you on yeah. your couch with your phone, like, whoa, like, where did you go? Like from that inspiration to where you are today? Well, first of all, my clients were not on board with the change. They really liked the clients that did stick with me. Um, uh, they liked starting with footwork, having a sip of their latte, changing the springs, going to um, going to hundreds breathing, jackknife coordination. Like literally, I taught the legit <laughs> order, and I would shake it up a little bit, maybe take you to the chair instead of a long stretch series and do pikes on the chair. But they liked the consistency of it, and. Yeah. And I also, I think because I was younger at the time, I didn't, I wasn't in command of my classes. I let them say, oh, can we just stretch today? Or can we just do that? I didn't have the confidence yet as, as an instructor to be like, no, this is what we were doing. And they chatted so much. And I, so it was really hard for me to start. I wanted to start creating the flows that I do now, instead of just like, we're going to do footwork, 10 reps, this, and now we're going to get up and change the springs. Yeah. I wanted to like stay on one spring and see how far we could take it and work one side of the body at a time. And these ladies weren't able to do it because they weren't listening. And if you, you can't teach a flow, if people aren't listening, because they wanted to do 10 reps, stop and then say what's next or ask what's next. So my clients weren't, weren't on board. So, but I slowly started changing things like maybe instead of the long stretch series, like I said, maybe I would, instead of, I was taught a medium and a light, maybe I would just do it on a light, walk our toes forward and really talk about the Pilates scoop. And, and I, and so they're okay with that. I had to like tiny little segments that I could change and they weren't on board with it. So I literally closed the studio and moved my studio 30 miles away and started over. That's so, <laughs> it's not a that, good business idea, but it worked. Uh, yeah, no, I was actually, I'm a big fan of Alex Hermosi. Anyone listening, like, you should go follow him on Instagram. And he was talking about when you're trying to make a change because he, yeah. he was telling about talking, about talking about his own story. And one of those was like, just change locations. Like you yeah. might not be able to go across the country, which is what he did. Yeah. But if you just go like across town, like yeah. it, it's a completely uh, clean, clean slate. It was a fresh start. And I, I picked, um, and I, 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 at the time I was doing, I was training teachers. And so I would travel to studios and train their teachers for them. Yeah. And so there was a studio in Arizona and they were doing so well. They were killing it. They desperately needed me to come and hire new instructors because 
they were, their classes were so busy and they didn't have anyone to teach. And Pilates was brand new to this community in Arizona. And it was a younger demographic, but they could still afford Pilates. And so I was thinking, cause where I lived in Salt Lake City, it was an older demographic, not older, older, but re- almost retired, not quite retired. They, they weren't into being super fit. And so I decided, and my husband and I were thinking, let's find a demographic that matches that demographic of that studio in Arizona and open it up there. Cause the style I wanted to teach was way more athletic and way more contemporary. And um, so that's kind of how we picked where the next studio was. We didn't live there. We just picked it based off, based off of the demographics. And that studio does so much better than my first studio. Cause I went out, I went, I went about it with a more of a business mentality versus, oh, isn't this fun? Let's open a studio. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So what I hear is like you recognize who your client avatar is, like your dream yeah. customer, yeah. And 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 you you went to them, and and yeah. you designed your business around them, and that's yeah. that like so client like client centered care is not only like listening to the client, meeting them where they're at, and things mm-hmm. like that, but it's also like you have to find them, right? Yeah. And, and so so I love that I love that you did that, and I think it's really important for anyone who's listening to this, thinking about opening a business is mm-hmm. um you know that there, there are certain steps uh, to take and then you need to consider who your client avatar is mm-hmm. and um okay so so you go to you go to a new studio mm-hmm. and like like are, are, i guess i'm going to go back like how would you define better you say this studio is doing way better but it sounds like you had clients at the other studio like how I is did have clients but um they weren't not i mean i had like a core of clients that I think it was almost like the relationships that they built, that they were coming to the studio. They weren't coming for fitness. They thought they were, but it was the type of Pilates where I call it prissy Pilates, where you just want to kind of do footwork and hunters breathing, have a latte and then go about your day. Right. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. There's nothing wrong with it, but um, I wanted it to be more fun. I wanted it to be more athletic and, um, and I didn't have, I had a lot of people coming and trying it, loving it for a month and then quitting because they would get bored. And so I needed something that, um, that, 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 that offered fitness to more types of people. I wanted it to, I wanted the younger demographic to feel like they got worked out. And I also wanted to still be able to have the 50, 60 year old still be able to participate in the class too. And with classical Pilates, it's really hard. I mean, some of the work is so challenging, you know, and um, so it's hard to adapt that classical routine to a um, to multiple populations. And so this way that I teach now, we don't level our classes, but we layer the um, we layer the cha- each exercise starts at a level zero, and it slowly builds in layers of difficulty. So if I have a client that doesn't want to do um, doesn't want to do lunges standing on the reformer. They don't have to. We start on the floor, we come up to the carriage and it just slowly builds so that the advanced clients have something that works for them. And so do the beginning clients or the clients that don't feel comfortable with the advanced work where I felt classical Pilates, there isn't a lot of that. Um, So I feel like this studio does better because I have more variety, different types of workouts. We We have a classical class we have a class that has hit in it. 
we have a class that has strength in it so they can literally choose and it's and and then and we have more instructors in the studio and we run it more based as a business um and so clients aren't stuck with one instructor they kind of they just sign up for a class and i'm sure they have their favorite instructors but it's not like you know when you go to a hair salon you only go to your person to do your hair right that's kind of how my first studio was the um, clients belong to the instructor. Now in this studio, the clients belong to the studio. And now I can go on vacation. You know, like if I'm gone, the studio is still working because there's other teachers teaching at the studio. So in that respect, this, this studio does so much better. It's built as a business versus a, I like teaching Pilates. I'm good at teaching Pilates. I'm going to open a business, you know, so. There's so much in that. And that's probably been my best learning outcome of 2023 is like, just because you have a skill of teaching Pilates doesn't yeah. mean you have a skill of business. And so that's exactly. when, people, when people talk about, well, this person doesn't even teach Pilates and they open a business. I'm like, well, they probably make three times as much money though. Um, so, you know, so it's like, meaning yeah. that they're two different skills. It's, it's good to yeah, have. Absolutely. Um, and, and we could totally go down that segue. One thing that you pointed out was a word called layers, right? Layering mm -hmm. exercise. Um, there's so much embedded in that. And so, and then you mentioned that that wasn't in like the classical um, repertoire, because that's really fundamental to teaching ex mm -hmm. exercise, right? The yoga yeah. is in the class. Like you, you don't just start with the full choreography, like you put your yeah. right foot forward. Um, mm -hmm. So how was that taught in your classical repertoire? If it wasn't, what was supposed to be there in replacement of a layer? You know, I think I, I, I went through a really good program. Um, it's Core Dynamics. Um, um, Michelle Larson was my mentor. And she was very um, liberal and open-minded. So um, I don't think she'd have a problem with how I teach now. Mm -hmm. um, she, I think, um, but there, is, there isn't a lot of, there, they do teach your fundamentals like puppet arms before hundreds breathing. And I remember thinking hundreds breathing was the hardest thing to teach because when I learned it in teacher training, you would spend like 20 minutes just prepping a client for hundreds breathing. So I guess that is the type of layers that you would learn, you know, but like, I mean, I don't know about you, but did you hate teaching hundreds breathing? I hated it. I was yeah. so intimidated by it because there's so much that in short spine, there was so much happening and it. it was so overwhelming when really it's not that complicated, you know, but um, I feel like in teacher training pro programs, I think we overcomplicate um, how to teach direction and how to teach an exercise that um, I didn't necessarily learn great layering teaching techniques. Instead, I learned preparatory exercises. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I want, I'm just like having flashbacks to 2000. <laughs> Uh, that mm -hmm. was when I did my first training, which again was also yeah. a great training. I know I know the yeah. Pilates classical repertoire very well, and that helped mm -hmm. me be where I am today. So it's yeah. not a poo poo or anything. It's just like if I were to do that over, how would I improve my experience? Which is totally yeah. fair to do. Yeah. Now with that, um, I remember like we had like it was like that puppet idea of like I'm just doing this because I was told to do this, but I don't know why yeah. I'm doing this. So I would have exactly. people like lie on their back and they, I don't know why they were in like a hugging position and then they had to reach their arms over their head without <laughs> like popping their ribs up. Cause that was like, and then it, you had to achieve that before we could do the next thing. Cause yeah. it wasn't, you know, it was like this idea, like, I don't know why I think it's a safety thing, but like, so there was like similar, it was like, there was like, there were yeah. sequences, but they were also yes. unrelated. 
Yeah, agreed. Like, they were totally unrelated. But like, you just did it to because you're told work. to do it. <laughs> yeah, like why can't you go on the reformer yet? Because you can't reach your arms over your head? It's like so weird. So I don't even know your medical history. Uh, it's like maybe you have a shoulder thing. Um, <laughs> so so with that, um, the, any breathe education grad, like I hope you're loving this because we teach layers like on like in, in the cert, it's like layer one, layer two, layer three. Mm -hmm. And that's really the fundamentals of motor learning. Like, yeah. like in motor learning, like you want to facilitate early success. That's like mm -hmm. your first layer. Like everyone can do, everyone can do it. Everyone's having a successful yeah. experience, which mm -hmm. is really good for your business. Just mm -hmm. Now people have success, but then you also want to present challenge, right? Mm -hmm. So like, it doesn't mean just be super easy. It just means like facilitate success. Everyone, you know, no one has that experience of I can't do Pilates. And then, but you also challenge people because, because I remember having that experience of like, I'm so bad at Pilates because uh, a well-intended instructor was letting me know how I was not doing it right. <laughs> like yeah. the whole hour, it's, it's an awful, you know, it's an awful experience. And so anyone listening, you know, just continue to facilitate early success uh, for your clients and, and te teach in layers because every, everyone. I absolutely be agree because you don't want, I mean, it can be intimidating walking into a studio. I'm sure you've heard this too. I have friends who are like, oh, I want to come take a class, but I want to get in shape first. Or I want to lose 10 pounds first. And so I know it's already intimidating to walk into a studio. And so I want them to, I want them to feel like little milestones of accomplishments. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if you like take, um, take the one to chair, you know, we're doing lunges on the chair. I'm not going to start out the class on one spring on the bottom. Who can do that? Right? Like I'd rather start the springs a little higher, get them doing the movement, get them feeling successful and then say, okay, if you want to add to this challenge, we're going to take one of the springs a little bit lower, you know, so that, so that they all feel it. They're accomplishing it. They're like, oh, this isn't so bad. And, yeah. and then, you know, you can kind of, you can add to the difficulty quite easily versus trying to um, give them the hardest stuff right out of the gate. That's no fun for anyone. Totally. And so, so when you're like, cause, cause now you're talking, you're, I mean, this should have just been a motor learning talk because mm -hmm. now you're talking about giving choices, which is another pillar mm -hmm. of motor learning. When mm -hmm. you're giving that choice, like what's the criteria for someone to have permission to go to that harder version? I think you just have to trust your clients that they, um, they know what's best for them because I don't know what they're feeling. I can see what they're displaying. Um, and I, I really feel like, you know, when you, I, I, I actually think I like people to come do a couple privates first, but that doesn't always happen. They like to join a group class. I feel like people actually improve a little faster in a group class than they would one-on-one -on -one because when they're, when they're, when I'm teaching them one-on-one, -on -one, they might be insecure, they might be nervous. And so they're not, they're not showing me or displaying to me that they're confident, that they're ready to take the next step. And so I'm going off of what they, what I see them, what they're projecting to me. I don't know what they're feeling. I don't know what it really feels like in their body, but when they're in a group environment and they see someone that they, that they um, see as their peer, taking one of those springs down a little bit if she can do it then that person tries it you know what i mean like they may not want to come into it they may not want to try push up from their toes so they've done it their whole life from their knees and then one day they see somebody that they deem not as fit as them trying to push up from their toes they might just try it you know so i do feel like people um 
they do progress a little bit faster um, when they're motivated with people around them. But also I have to trust that they know what's best for them. If they feel like they can, if they feel like they can go a little bit lighter on the spring. And I, I mean, obviously you can tell, like if they're like bending over and struggling, you're not going to offer them that opportunity. But if I feel like they look like they're doing okay, then I just have to trust them that they believe that they can, they can move to the next layer. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. My only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five-star review. Leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the Pilates industry. I do this 100% for free. I do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast. It is 100% for free. And you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five-star review. Another motor learning principle. So now we're promoting <laughs> autonomy. You know, so they're in charge of themselves. You know, that takes so much pressure off of us too, as instructors. Like we don't have to like see if someone meets this like this alignment protocol criteria yeah. to then move forward. They have the choice. Um, in in so so I can also identify with what you're mentioning in group classes. I mm -hmm. I hate taking privates. I have no interest in having a one on one mm -hmm. service, and that's just yeah. my personality. Yeah, you, you know too. what I mean? Whereas other personalities are like a group class. No way. <sighs> I want one-on-one -on -one service. And so it's like, it's, you know, they're just so different, you know, even yeah. in, you know, the we energy don't level is it. completely different from a private to a group class too. Yeah. I want to see people like banging it out next to me, right. With like yeah. the music yeah. and I want the instructor yeah. like over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so it's, and, and so I just identify as that client who's like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to thrive in that environment. Mm -hmm. And just like teaching Pilates, some people thrive in teaching one-on-one, -on -one. some people thrive mm -hmm. in groups, some people thrive online, you know, and clients yeah. are the yeah. same way. But with that, yeah. you know, it's, it is a, um, you know, that's, that, that in itself is, is promoting autonomy. Um, mm -hmm. in, in, cause I know that there's a lot of spaces where it's like, you have to take, you have to, not a, not a recommendation. There's nothing wrong with mm -hmm. the recommendation. And I agree with your recommendation of like, take a private and group. Mm -hmm. Um, but some places it's like mandatory, like you're not mm -hmm. allowed to play unless you play by these rules. And I just want to advocate, yeah. for, you know, just to like, you know, it's okay. It's okay if they just want to join a group class. But Absolutely. And I don't hate that as a customer when you're being told you can't do this. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and there's a saying in neuroscience that neurons that fire together, wire together. That's like why you smell mm -hmm. like grandma's cookies or your cookies. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, oh, that's grandma, you know, and you haven't had her cookies for 20 years or, mm -hmm. or, or whatnot. And so if you have that sense of rejection at the Pilates studio, when you see Pilates on Instagram or someone talks about Pilates or you walk by that studio, you're mm -hmm. going to have, you're more likely to have that experience again. But you can mm -hmm. use that to your advantage of like, oh, I did awesome in Pilates. Like I went to Tiffany's class and like we did these lunges and she totally helped me out. Like. I did awesome. I even got a high five after class. So now it's like your clients have this experience of like yeah. doing awesome mm -hmm. and a motivated. I mean, there's like nothing better than like a motivated individual to get things done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Now, something that you mentioned earlier was like exercise science uh, principles and how mm -hmm. that was um, not emphasized very much in, in a classical Pilates training. Mm -hmm. 
And then I see your stuff on Instagram and I'm like, I'm seeing exercise science principles here. And you're talking mm-hmm. like motor learning, you know, motor learning gold. What was that journey like for you in terms of implementing or learning exercise, like just foundational exercise principles coming from a classical training? So I grew, I was a professional athlete, so I was exposed to um, fitness my entire life and how we talked about the motor learning and the build, the layer building and developing patterns. I also taught ice skating too. So when I was teaching a student who was learning an axle for the first time, you start with a half rotation, then you go to a, a full rotation, then it's one and a half. Like you just build in layers, developing patterns. And when a student was developing a bad habit, you break that all down and you start all over again. So those patterns, carried naturally carry over when I teach Pilates. Um, like I just said, like a push-up, starting from your knees, then going to your toes. If you can only do one on your toes, that's fine. Go back to your knees, but slowly building up and developing patterns naturally carried over. I didn't learn that in Pilates. Uh, I didn't learn that in my Pilates training, though it was a, like I keep saying, it, it was a really good training, but they basically were teaching us um, that, that, hundreds breathing, what, how to teach it, how to dissect it, how to look at it a million different ways, what, um, what, are, what you need to be careful for, what are the contradictions. So I never actually learned how to teach a class though. You know, you, you go through, you spend a year, it's a 500 hour program, and then you're, then you're expected to go teach. They never really gave me great teaching skills. I think that carried over from me teaching ice skating and teaching children. Um, but um, I talked about your post about the jump board and it's funny how I love how you don't say something is wrong. You just bring up questions and you make us think. And, um, you you, some, you said it somehow, like, do you think jump board is cardio? Is it getting your heart rate up or something like that? I always knew jump board wasn't cardio, um, because I know what anaerobic and aerobic is. I learned that in high school health class. And, um, but, but then when I thought, I always thought jump board wasn't cardio because you can't maintain that state for 30 minutes. I never even thought about the fact your heart rate cannot get up laying down <laughs> to, to an aerobic level, right? So yeah. I never really thought about that. But you, you just, you propose, you bring up questions in your post. You make people think about things that we don't think about because um, if something doesn't make sense, it may not make sense, but that's okay. Joseph Bloody said it's that way. And, um, but I like how you how you make us think and it's not like you're saying it's wrong what you're doing but that jump board post really made me think and so i went and tried it and i'm like and so i put my heart rate monitor on and i'll be like i'll be damned it's like barely like and i did it for like a minute straight of like two reds and a blue just jumping and it was barely above resting heart rate you know then i started thinking well no 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 shiz i almost swore i'm laying down (laughs) yeah your heart rate can't get up laying down (laughs) (laughs) and um but so then it really, so that post really inspired me to, and I had already started doing HIT training outside of Pilates. So I'm going to digress a little bit. Um, yeah. I started menopause a little early. I'm 45, but at 44, I was diagnosed with men- going into menopause. And um, all of, and I was a runner. I loved to run five days a week. And I did my Pilates and some resistance training, but not a lot. I started gaining all this weight. And then I did some research. You don't want to do cardio. You want to do HIT. And so I looked up, 
um, a gym nearby that taught HIIT classes. And I started doing it like three to four times a week. I was in the best shape of my life. And so I started thinking, I am a hypocrite because I go to the gym, I work my ass off at the gym, and then I come and teach a completely different style of fitness to my clients. So I started to feel like a hypocrite. And so I started creating hit Pilates classes. And that post that you did about the jump board really got me thinking that you're right, this is not hit. And um, for our app, Dyna Dynamic Pilates TV, we were requesting all of our instructors at during the new year to send in hit Pilates classes. Not a single one of them was truly hit. Like, I was like, how do you guys not know what hit is? You know, like, I mean, so like I had to like, I made this like Instagram post and I sent it to all of our uh, dynamic Pilates TV instructors saying, you need to know the difference between aerobic and anaerobic. You need to know what it takes to get your heart rate up because just because you're out of breath does not mean it's a hit class. And so it was your post that really got me thinking about what, how, what, what, what it truly takes to get your heart rate up. So, and then, um, and then I decided to create a workshop around it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing the, the good word. And, and just for anyone listening, uh, jump board is awesome. In the, it is. In I love one, it. In one, th I love it too. Um, one thing that I I want to like one case that I'd like to make is Pilates, and I'll take this from my friend Anula, like uh, Anula Myberg. Shout out to Anula. Mm -hmm. That uh, Pilates is expensive exercise. It's worth mm -hmm. every penny, but it's like comparative. If you were to compare like ten different kinds types of exercise, what's the most expensive? Pilates is going to be like one or yeah. two, right? Yeah. So it's good to be a trainer, right? You can charge it. Mm -hmm. So, but then. If someone's paying um, for a 10 pack and they drop $1,000 on their fitness for this month mm -hmm. and they could have dropped like 50 bucks at the gym, okay, they should at least meet activity guidelines. Like, can mm -hmm. you imagine that? Like you spend $1,000 on your fitness and you don't mm -hmm. meet physical activity guidelines. That's insane. And part yeah. of the physical activity guidelines is that you get your heart rate up for at least mm -hmm. 150 minutes per week. And, and it's, it's yeah. between, I think it's like 64 to 76% of heart rate. And, mm -hmm. and that's where it's like, this is just meant to be additive. So it's like, after mm -hmm. you do your jump board, if you're selling a class called like cardio sculpt, get the, get up, <laughs> get yes. vertical, yeah. get vertical yeah. and start moving or do things like you're mentioning with your hit. And so this isn't yeah. to poo poo on anything. This is to say, Hey, like, let's get people to meet activity guidelines because they'll live longer. Now, yeah. what, but for any, uh, anyone who's listening, like, what is HIT? And then what is not HIT? So HIT is high intensity interval training. So you want the heart rate to spike up and then you let it come down, spike up and let it come down. And for women in particular, um, it's super important um, to, to put that strain on your, on your cardiovascular system you're going to burn way more calories. And I don't, this is where I don't know the science behind this. Why during menopause, all of a sudden, my 45 minute to one hour run, I started storing fat and, um, and burning muscle. I don't, I, I don't quite understand that yet. I need to do some more research, but with HIT, that doesn't happen. And, um, and like with the jump board, you can do hits. You can do a you can you can do a hit class with the jump board, but the jumping is not going to be the hit part. And um, and it, it's not that hard to figure out. You just wear your heart rate monitor, and 
So if I do a jump board class, that's a hit class, the jumping, it's not going to be the hit part. It might be part of the strength training part, but not the hit part. And um, I, I feel like, especially like you were saying, people may be dropping $1,000 a month on fitness. And I do have um, clients who come to my studio exclusively for their fitness. And that's why I really felt compelled to offer classes that had hit, that had heavy resistance strength and had Pilates. And so it's kind of like, a, it's a one-stop shop for us. And because um, like I said, I felt a bit like a hypocrite that I was doing workouts elsewhere and then selling a product in my studio that, that I, wasn't, I wasn't benefiting much from. Yeah, I've, I've been there where I just stopped doing Pilates for, for a while because I, I was interested in other things. And it is weird to go back and, yeah. and teach it. But you can do, you can do, you can have it all. You know, you can, you oh, can yeah. put the best, you can draw the best. And I love jump board classes. I love Pilates. I love, um, I love, I love just a regular reformer class with no props. But heavy resistance is so important for women. And a pulley system like the reformer, you can't make it heavy enough without hurting your shoulders that you're going to get the, um, the load that you need to actually build muscle. And I didn't realize that until about, I want to say three years ago, I had a, a DEXA body scan. It's a, um, it's like a comprehensive scan of all of your body's numbers. And my muscle mass was great. My body fat was great, but my bone density was below average. And the person who did the scan, they're like, well, you need to do resistance training. I'm like, duh, I do Pilates like six days a week. And they're like, well, apparently it's not working. <laughs> yeah. So for... I did some research and I realized I need to be lifting heavy enough resistance that it's hard to do 10 reps. And I don't think that's another thing Pilates teachers don't understand. I go doing teaching my workshops. Most of the studios only have three pound weights, you know, like doing little circles and that doesn't do anything for you. It's not going to build pulses are great to burn out the muscle, but it's not building muscle. And, um, so I go to, before I go to these workshops, I tell them, I'm like, you're going to need these weights, um, or else the workshop's not going to work. But most studios only have three pounders. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a lot in there. And, and one, yeah. one thing like dear listener, if you're like, Oh my God, that's me. I'm an imposter. No, no, no. This is, an this is an education problem. Like you yeah. paid good money to learn education. And then there, there's just things where like there's room for improvement, just like any other aspect of life. There's room for improvement. I'm getting a doctor, doctorate in physical therapy. Holy shit. I got to wow. go on that. But wow, right? No, but what I'm saying holy shit about is like, like they don't even have an exercise dosage class. You can leave that and not know how to, to build strength. Um, there's really? no class on exercise dose. Yeah. So it's not just a Pilates That's problem. Interesting. Like you, you can go yeah. all the way up and like yeah. still miss it. Um, yeah. so, but, but with that, so, um, so it's not an, it's an education problem. It's not a Pilates teacher problem, but we mm -hmm. are, we can take ownership of our continuing education and continue mm -hmm. to learn and bias things. Now you mentioned that, uh, that sometimes like the, the reformer, it isn't necessarily ideal for building muscle mass, which doesn't mm -hmm. mean you can't do it. It's really creative. And you mm -hmm. mentioned that you had a DEXA scan. Anyone who's not familiar with DEXA scan, like that's, um, that's a scan that like they can scan multiple things, but one of those is bone density. And so what they look mm -hmm. for particularly in, um, in like postmenopausal women will be bone density because that's a higher mm -hmm. risk for osteop osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. So for osteoporosis or bone density in general or any kind of risk factor, we want high impact training 
and high resistance training. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's yeah. like, like the opposite of footwork. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. jump, like jump off the reformer and land on the floor. Yeah. So how did that, like, what did you start doing to like, how, like, like what kind of behavior change did you make after that scan and how that affect your teaching? Um, just so, you know, I think like my teaching is always a result of what's going on in my life and my own body too. So I, I made everyone in the studio start. We bought five pounders, 10 pounders and 15 pounders. My clients almost shit their pants when they saw those weights. <laughs> but like slowly I started introducing heavy resistance yeah. and, um, and for myself, I started going to the gym and um, I, I got a trainer and just learned stuff that I did not know um, how to build muscle mass and what it took. And, um, and the cool thing about bone density is it doesn't mean that you're screwed for the rest of your life. Like you can improve your bone density. And within six months, I went back and did the scan again. And my bone density was then normal. I mean, that's really cool that in your 40s, you can actually improve in some way in your body, even though you're slowly growing older, <laughs> but my bones, um, you can, you can improve that. And it's not by taking calcium that doesn't work that much. You have to do the work. You have to lift the heavy weights. And I just, I am always telling people, if you got to your 10th rep of say, just an overhead press and you whizzed through it, it's time to go heavier. I'd rather yeah. you start heavy and go down because you're not going to get stronger. And that's another thing I don't understand about Pilates now that like I, I've you know, a few years ago when I started implementing the weights and stuff in Pilates, we never change those springs. It's always the same spring. You know what I mean? Like the long stretch series is always the same spring. Short spine is always, I mean, I would change it for men because they're, they're, they weigh more and they're stronger, but like, I mean, my whole practice of Pilates, I've always done the same springs, you know, in the classical work. No, I had similar experience. It was always one half spring for pulling straps. You know, it was in there. I was like not using my triceps right. Um, so, so uh, with that, shout out to any diploma students right now. You're gonna love this because we teach that 10, 10 reps. You need more load. We're we're doing yeah. that for for for, four, yeah. for the first four weeks right now. So shout out to that. That's great. And and so uh, okay, so we always do the same springs mm-hmm. in Pilates, right? And 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 one of the things of like criteria to move on. Mm-hmm. Is like, I need to see you do the exercise the way that I deem to be appropriate or else you might get hurt. Mm-hmm. So there's like this, like, it's an aesthetic criteria to then add a little bit. And we usually don't add a spring. We add a layer. We add complexity yeah. to yeah. exercise. And I think it's really important to differentiate. And so like, how did you um, start to change or, 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 I guess, what is your criteria for, to add another spring for someone? And then two, like, how did that evolve like over time? So the, like, you're right. Like the, that's the thing with the pulley system. Like you can't really go too much heavier without compromising your shoulders. Like take pulling straps, right? Like I could put three reds on, but it's just, you can't, there's not a lot of room to add springs. I don't think unless you're doing jump board or, something like that um, or footwork, but there's not, you can't really just add a spring to make it more challenging. You can add a different variable. Um, You could, um, uh, 
go to instead of two hands down, one hand down. I mean, I would just change the very out of prop. I, I've never really graduated someone to a heavier string that often when it comes to the reformer. I don't know about you. It it all depends. Like sometimes you just run out of springs. Like I'll just have <laughs> someone sit, like I have someone sit on the bed facing mm-hmm. the back, like back rowings, and then yeah. grab the rope. I have every spring on and I'm like pull the rope. Well back. yeah, that and, but like and they feet do and every straps. Spring. You can't go too heavy with feet and straps and stuff like that, right? No, no, your feet are gonna hurt. Or like <laughs> one leg or like single leg footwork. Like I like yeah. and I'm not like a really strong guy. I'm just an I'm just a dude. Yeah. And I can mm-hmm. do every spring like more than ten times, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then we we run into this like equipment problem and this isn't poo-pooing on the reformer. I own one and I'm always yeah. going to own one. But I yes. also own other things. Right. And I yeah. think and, and I think that's part of like the the evolution is you have peace with your own limitations as a human and you have mm-hmm. peace with limitations of Pilates, but there's also limitations of kettlebells and things like that. Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to do feet and straps with kettlebells on my fucking ankles. Like I'm, like, I'm, <laughs> like I'm going to, I'm going to do feet and straps on a reformer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But so, so then, so then we have this limitation of the reformer and we know mm-hmm. what it's good at and then where the limitations are mm-hmm. in regards to strength training. How did you solve for that limitation and how do you recommend other people to do so as well. You you know, you have to be careful by when you add weights to the reformer, you have to be careful. It's a moving surface. So um, when I teach my workshops, I, I show uh, like, especially when it comes to hit and heavy resistance, I'll teach a flow that does all the hit on the ground. I think that's the easiest way to implement hit is to do it on the ground. And one time you did a post that I copied where you're, you're on the ground and you have a foot on the box and you're jumping up and down, you're holding a strap, you're on the side of the reformer on the ground, oh, yeah, yeah. the box, yeah, the box is towards the back. That's incorporating the reformer, but you're not on top of the reformer. I think you have to be really careful doing hit on top of the reformer because it's a moving surface. If you want to get the most bang for your buck, use the reformer as the strength and use the ground as the hit surface. And so that, I think that's the easiest way to implement hit. Now, when it comes to adding heavy weights and dumbbells, I don't think I'd ever put a kettlebell on the reformer. Um, you can't, I mean, just because you can do an overhead press with 20 pounds, I don't think I would do lunges on the reformer with 20 pound weights. You kind of have to like pick and choose where you do the heavy resistance. So we do a lot of like our arm strength stuff on the ground in between my reformer flows. And I do that the same with the hit. I, I will bring the weights onto the reformer when I'm laying down or seated, um, sometimes doing lunges, but you have to be careful when you're, when you're, when you're bringing that element onto the reformer because you don't want people to get hurt. I want it to be simple enough, especially when I add the heavy resistance. I like to keep the flows and the sequences simple so that they um, can get the most out of it so that it's super effective. And then I leave the fancy fun stuff for the reformer stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, I want to come take your class, Tiffany. Uh, so I'm gonna have, I'm gonna do it. Uh, so with that, like that, you're speaking in my head. You're speaking to the relationship between strength and control, meaning mm-hmm. that when yes. and, and I'll drop a, a, a systematic review for anyone in the show notes who likes to nerd out. It's from uh, Brad Schoenfield on how to generate um, force. Um, so mm-hmm. you you can generate more force through muscles as prime movers. What that means mm-hmm. is like when um, you know, muscles primarily moving a bone, right? Like a push-up, mm-hmm. that'd be like your shoulder yes. flexors. Okay. Right? You can generate more force if there is not a balance challenge. 
So you yes. want to make balance as yeah. easy as possible so you can mm -hmm. challenge strength as much as possible. Yes. And I think that's really important. That's really important learning that it was for me as a Pilates instructor for, and, and I hope for, for you too, dear listener, is that when you're making an exercise harder, it doesn't necessarily mean you're building more strength. You might be challenging mm -hmm. more balance. Yes. And that's where yeah. it's like, there's so many ways to win. Right. Like mm -hmm. you want like a lot of, do you want the balance to be hard or you're going to bias like stabilizers and balance? Mm -hmm. Do you want the balance to be really easy, such as being on the floor with two feet on the floor? Yeah. Uh, okay, good. You, now you can bias strength and then you learn how to like blend that into a class. Just like you're mentioning, mm -hmm. like, let's do all like the fun flowy stuff on the reformer and just jump off the equipment, not jump off, but like, you know, come off the equipment just for a little bit and do your mm -hmm. head. Does that yeah. accurately? Yeah, exactly. And you, you, you said it much more eloquently than I did, but you're, you're right. And I, and, and it depends on what your goals are too. If you really want to build muscle mass, you probably want to study surface. You don't want to include as much balance. If you want an, more overall doing it all together works well too. And um, I also want, I also don't think people understand compound exercises are great, but how effective are they? Because if you're doing squats with weights and doing an overhead reach as you're doing the squat, you're going to be using way less weights than you would want for your legs for squats. But you want to do an overhead reach with your squat. So you're going to only use 10 pounders, but that's not doing anything for your legs. So I think when you think of compound exercises too, you need to pick exercises that go well together that use the same weight load. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds like you're- That's my pet like peeve. Yeah, it, no, it, it, it's really like, and, and there's a time and a place for a compound mm -hmm. exercise. Like, is it an older adult who's mm -hmm. just getting back into fitness? Like, maybe that's what you choose. Um, and, and, but then if you're seeking just specific strength, it's like, hey, let's not mm -hmm. do the compound that, you know, you could do just focus on that bit. Because if you're just standing upright, you can lift stuff over your head more. And like you're mentioning, mm -hmm. you're not really yeah. going to get to that 10 RM, 10 repetition maximum okay. um, with the weight. You can lift over your head for your legs. And then there's goes, a place for the compound too, that might get your heart rate up. That might be a great hit sequence too, but that's the things that like, I feel that's where the disconnect is with a lot of Pilates teacher training programs is people aren't learning that. And I think in today's world, um, people, our, our clients are wanting more fitness based, especially as we're getting older too. Um, it's really important for women to lift heavier weights. And, um, and, and as a teacher, as a Pilates teacher, we don't get that information in our traditional programs. Yeah, and that's and that's of no fault to any instructor that is in an no, not at all uh, problem. But that that's where it um, you know people people like you, Tiffany, uh, spreading the good message and helping educate Pilates instructors um, on on the benefits of of strength training and how it can be additive to the practices. Well, so and it's no different than like, if you're going to go take a workshop on scoliosis, because you don't learn all of that in a teacher training program, right? But we're encouraged as when we, when we graduate from our teacher training to keep learning more about back issues, knee issues. This is the same thing. Um, it's not expected to be, to learn all of this sports or exercise science in a teacher training program, but it's just as valuable to learn about this type of fitness versus um, I think it's just as valuable learning about scoliosis and other kind of programs that we deem are worthy of our time. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you get so much more value out of learning concepts and principles mm -hmm. than you will learn 
um, things that are like super, super specific or like especially <laughs> apparatus specific. If you learn principles, yeah. you can apply that to anything. And I am, and I am uh, mindful of, of our time together. And, and, and Tiffany, like if there's one thing that you would like the listeners to take away from our conversation, um, what would that be? I think just don't be afraid to stop learning. Don't be afraid to try things. Take yeah. classes. Whenever I travel, I take a class. Whether I end up not liking the class, I've learned something. Maybe I'll learn that I'm not going to chew gum while I teach. Or I'm not going to, even if it's a class that wasn't that great, you're going to learn from it. And I just think exposing yourself to as many types of fitness as possible. I get ex inspiration from when I go to the gym. I get inspiration. I have a Peloton just doing the, their workouts. I get, I get inspired. I draw it from everywhere. And thinking outside of the box, I think, is so valuable. And you don't have to mimic somebody, you can create your own style. And people will gravitate to that style, I think. Yeah, yeah beautif beautifully said. And you know, we don't have to be our, our instructors, we can be our own instructor. Absolutely. And so I love how you speak to the cognitive um, agility. Uh, and, and also, um, if anyone would like to uh, stay in touch with you, Tiffany, connect mm -hmm. with you and see what you're up to, how could they connect with you? So my website is tiffanyburkpilates.com and you can send me a message there. And um, of course on Instagram, I'm Poison Strength Pilates, um, which was my first studio's name. And I, I can't change the name, it's too late. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Yeah, I, I have that, that similar thing. I'm like, well, what about one of my physical therapists? Uh, just yeah. be Adam McAtee Pilates, that's fine. Um, I really so love, I love your content. Like I said, I, I find so much inspiration from it. And I love that you make people think and question the things they don't understand. And I think that's really important. Thank you. It's a passion. It's a passion of mine to, to just pose um, questions. And uh, your your content is equally inspiring. And and list and dear listener, if you didn't catch, if you didn't write down um, like Tiffany's uh, Instagram on like a napkin at the local restaurant, that's fine. Um, everything is in the show notes. It is just one click away. Thank you, Tiffany, for your time. Thank you, Thank listener, you. for taking the time to listen to the podcast. And until next time, have an incredible rest of your day. Thank you.